0: esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Rob Worm's Bird Adventure, which is going to be released here March 23rd of 2023. If you're listening to this after that, good news, it's already available. Just go get your copy. I'm also the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. And Good news today! This very episode is episode two hundred, which is just incredible. And I couldn't do it without you, esteemed audience. I'm so grateful that you've been tuning in and supporting the show. Uh, and I couldn't be more thrilled to be chatting with uh, James Ponte today. But two hundred episodes in, if you if you've enjoyed the show, if if if. If these hours of content have brought you any kind of joy or, or uh, knowledge that you wouldn't have had otherwise, I know that's certainly true for me, do me a favor and write a review on whatever service you're listening or watching this uh, on. Just take you all of uh, maybe a minute at most. You could do it on the device you're listening on. Just pull it up while you're hearing the show and just say, I like the show five stars, four stars, whatever you want to do. I greatly appreciate it. That helps me out, helps the show out. Plus, if you're listening, I'm thinking maybe you've got a book in you. And then one day when it's out, you're going to want to come on the show. And if you help support the show, one, it'll still be here. And two, it'll be an even bigger audience to promote your book to when you come on. So I greatly appreciate that. As always, for more interviews, we're uh, with Literary agents, editors, publishing professionals, all the world's best people. Head to middlegradeninja.com. That is more than enough intro.
1: By God, James Ponty is here. we got to get started. Uh, Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I can't believe I'm number 200. This is really, really pretty exciting for me. The double C, as they would say in ancient Rome. So it's good to be here. I am uh, thrilled to
0: talk with you. I've got all kinds of questions about city spies and and your career and everything else, but esteemed audience knows that I never torture my guests by making them sit through me summarizing their biography or their background. Why would I do that when uh, you're right here and could do a better job of it than I could? So, if you would give esteemed audience an overview of your background.
1: All right. Hello, everyone. Um, My name is James Ponte. I am the author of three middle grade series, soon to be four. Um, The Dead City series, which is about a secret society that polices the undead who live beneath New York City on um, the frame series, which is a mystery series in the tone of a Sherlock Holmes, but with um, a 12 year old boy and girl in Washington, DC, who consult for the FBI. And then currently I am writing City Spies and City Spies um, the fourth book comes out soon on February the 7th. Um, and it's uh, a book series about five kids from around the world who have fallen through the cracks and they are adopted by a British secret agent who turns them into a family of spies and MI6 sends them on missions where adults would stand out. And then I have coming up a new series. It's a year and a half away. Um, But if you're listening to this from a long time from now, maybe it's not so far away. It's called the Sherlock Society and it's set in South Florida and Florida is my home. So it's a fun thing to write about um, where I grew up and, and, and where I live. Um, I, like I said, I grew up in Florida. I grew up in a small beach town near Jacksonville um, called Atlantic Beach, Florida. And I love stories. I loved writing. I was a really poor reader growing up. I struggled with reading. And so my writing journey took me first to, um, to film school where I majored in screenwriting and I worked in television. I worked at Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, PBS, um, writing scripts for a lot of kids shows, for cartoons, things like that. Eventually I moved up, or moved up is not the right word, but eventually I went on to work for different cable channels as a producer. So the History Channel, Spike TV, NBC Sports, Golf Channel, all over the place. But about 10 years ago, I made this commitment to see if I actually, because I by that point i grown to love reading, if I could be a novelist. And so I started writing books and, and those, you know, this is your 200th episode on my fourth City Spies book, which comes out in February is um, my 10th book, so 210. So we have good, nice round numbers here to talk about. And that is a very boring recap of my strange, but my life. You
0: no, know, I found every last word fascinating. And we're gonna dive a little bit deeper on a couple of things. I love the idea of, uh, of people listening to this way in the future, because now you know, 200 episodes, five years, I know it does happen. I'm always curious that, like, oh my God, people are still watching that. I already forgot that happened. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Uh, And then I like to think, well, what if, after all of humanity has been wiped out, which, come on, we've all lived through 2020 now, we know it's just a matter of time, Uh, and then I assume aliens will watch, like, what was humanity like, and this will be the program, so huge responsibility, you and I representing all of
1: humanity. we We are from Earth, a flawed but wonderful place, so you're aliens. Please remember us. There'll fine.
0: Be, yeah, there'll be us this episode and maybe we'll be Fast and the Furious 6. And that's all the clues they'll have. <laughs>
1: you know, it, but that may be the best Fast and Furious. So I feel like we're we're at least giving them something to something to hang on to.
0: The aliens will scratch their chin and say, huh, they, the humans were all about family. Fascinating. <laughs>
1: there we go. There we go. <laughs>
0: So um, I'm always fascinated by uh, somebody who has trouble reading as a child who then goes on to become a novelist. And I had read a really traumatic story uh, that you had when you're in your, your first grade classroom. Everybody has a there's a poster with all the names. Uh, and every time you, they finish yeah. reading the star next to it and you only had the, the
1: one star. Yeah. So so this is my first grade class, Mrs. Brooks, um, who was, by the way, an amazingly good teacher um and i remember her well from first grade and that was a very long time ago but we had reading we read in class all the time and i was a very slow reader and it frustrated me beyond no end and we had a poster on the wall and on the poster was everyone's name and every time you read a book um you got a star and you put the star next to your name And it was a way to keep track and brag and show off about all the books that you had read but for me, for someone who struggled to read books, it was the like I, I avoided that part of the classroom because it, it 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 hurt to see how far behind I was. And um, I had a good friend across the table for me, and she was an incredible reader. And her her you know I, her her line was filled with stars. You know, it looked like the Hubble telescope took a picture of the galaxy, and there was just stars everywhere. And my line, I always say, looked like the flag of Texas, the Lone Star State. I had one star for the year. And when I got that star, I was so excited that I finally had one. And when I got to the poster to put it up, I was just embarrassed because then it's like, oh, I only got one. And so really at the end of first grade, I kind of made a mental note to stop trying to read. And that put me behind in life for quite some time because I, I kept to that. I, I read very little, almost never for pleasure. The thought of reading an entire novel just baffled me. And now when I look at the ones that I write, first of all, I can't believe that I write books and my friends think it's hilarious that I write books. But second, I can't believe how long my books are because I'm like, think about you as a kid. You are not writing for you, even though the plots and the stories that I write are the ones that I would have wanted to have read when I was younger. So, so that, that, that's a battle I have with myself about book length. But yeah, so writing was not a, a real great thing for me. Um, and then in college, I went on a blind date and I'm on this blind date with this girl who's wonderful and pretty and and smart and funny and nice and everything you could want. You know, the whole point of a blind date is to get to the second date, right? You want you want you want to try to well, maybe this goes well. We could have another one, and then the second one. And, and so she, about thirty minutes in, said, "You know, oh, I love to read. Do you like to read?" And I'm like, "Well, I, I can't really hit her with the." Well the first grade, I really struggled, there's this poster and they start you know, so I just I lied, which is I am really not a liar, not just because of the virtue because i I can't keep things straight, so I just always tell the truth, but I lied, I said, oh, I love to read, i reading I really love to read and but we started dating and so we started dating, so I didn't want to admit that I lied on our first date, so I would carry around a book and you know I'd do all that, and now we've been married for over thirty years, and <laughs> i um you know once she was really fully committed, I said, you know, on our first date, I said, I like to read, but I i may have stretched the truth a bit on that. And she's like, yeah, the fact that you've been reading the same book for a couple of years was kind of a giveaway. You know, because she reads a book a week, two books a week sometimes, and she's a school teacher during vacation. It's like every other day just to keep up with her book habit. So um, it was a long journey, and it is really the only real regret of my life is that seven-year-old me made a decision that even teenage me followed which was i am just not going to try writing reading i'm just just going to stay away from it and i i have a lot of friends who are writers who are really good and many of them very well-known writers and we'll get together and we'll talk and everything's great until they start talking about all the books that they loved as kids and then i just disappear from the conversation and i listen because I, i can't contribute um, for me, it was movies. For me, I started going to movies. My mom loved the movies. Um, the movie theater was the only place I was allowed to go by myself growing up. Um, and so the movie, I would go to the movies and a movie is two hours long for everyone, or an hour and a half for everyone. And I fell in love with that storytelling and I started making movies growing up. And then I knew that that's what I wanted to do was work in film or television. And really that sent me on that course, but books were always secretly kind of pulling me back. and. I'm happier now writing books than I have ever been with any part of my career.
0: That is the best reading, our best reason I think I've ever heard for wanting to become a reader is to impress somebody you're attracted to.
1: Yes, no, it was it was important. and she is fantastic. and she is, you know, um, yeah, it's it's great. and and, and she, also bonus, she reads everything I write as I write it. so she's the first editor of everything. so. So I, I it was a win win that date for me. It was very good. So if you don't go on that date, maybe I'm not talking to you today, maybe you're you definitely not talking to me.
0: <laughs> you're definitely <laughs> not talking to me if I hadn't gone on that date. So I am I'm, I'm curious cuz I'd also read that you had decided to become a writer when you're in Mr. Perthrow's fifth grade English class, but you're not reading. So what is it that that made you want to be a writer in fifth grade? Okay, here's what thing
1: I wasn't reading books, right? I would read things like Sports Illustrated. I'd read things like, you know, Greatest Receivers of the NFL. Um, I love the World Almanac every year. I would get a new version. So I liked, re- I, 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 what I had trouble with was that narrative content storyline carried out. I'm, I'm petting my dog. I'm trying to secretly pet my dog so she doesn't bark. So that if you notice any weird twitches with my left arm, she is as always taking advantage of of one of these sessions um so i i and i love books and, and and some books i did read there were a couple couple that slipped through the cracks one was still to this day my favorite book of all time which is from the mixed up files and Mrs. is frank weiler and that was a book that i loved and it had a mystery in it, it had real setting in it and, and i managed to make it through and then there were these books called encyclopedia brown and encyclopedia brown books would be they were they were narrow volumes and you'd order them out of the weekly reader and you'd get um would be like six or seven mysteries in one book each of them about nine pages long so i could keep with that so i was i wasn't reading and i wasn't usually enjoying reading and my reading i i do great on all my tests except for reading comprehension i struggled with that but i always was writing I would write things that were longer than what I was reading. Cause I, I just love stories. I, I, I would, I, the first story I ever wrote was in second grade. I wrote a story about Mickey Mouse's birthday and how all the characters chipped in and bought him a lamp. It's very strange decision for an eight year old to make, but um, I loved writing stories. My, my mom um, did a little bit of writing and she loved storytelling um, at my house. I was the youngest and you know, the way you got, noticed at the dinner table or something else is you tell a funny story you know say something funny or tell an interesting story and so storytelling was always a a thing for me and it was the writing of poetry in Mr. Prothero's class in fifth grade that flicked the switch of like no 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 because the response from that made me want to yeah I want to feel that more so I have to figure out what writing is right for me because writing is it, Um, that same year, I went to really a a life-changing movie for me, and it was All the President's Men, which is not a movie that most um, 10-year-olds were into when it came out. It's a movie about Watergate and the two reporters, Woodward and Bernstein from the Washington Post, who uncovered Watergate. And what I loved about the movie was that for years, and and if you're not my age, you don't remember any of this or don't know of any of this, all you heard was the word Watergate and it never made sense to me. What is this place? What is going on? And the president may have to resign and all like this. And then I saw this movie and in two hours I understood it all. And I thought, oh, a really well-told story is the thing that helps you see the world better and helps you understand better. So this combination of this great teacher and writing poetry in this class. And poetry was great because it was short enough that I could really do the whole thing. Gave me a sense of word and word selection and rhythm and pace and that. And then the story about writers. So it was twofold. It was not only a story where the written script and story of the movie explained the things to me, but it was about that, oh, the heroes of this movie are the people who write the stories. And I thought, okay, so writing is the thing for me. And then my quest from fifth grade to 12th grade was figuring out what type of writing, what I want to be. If for a long time, I thought I might want to be a journalist. You know, probably and partly inspired by the Woodward and Bernstein thing. But it's like just newspaper writing is short and concise, or magazine writing. Okay, I like that. Or I might want to write TV shows because I love television. Or I might want to write movies. So I love. And so I banged around with all that. So even though I wasn't reading like the other people, I was appreciating story. And a couple of real turning points along the way, I had a, a middle school teacher who was amazing, Dale Tyree was his name. I had him all three years um, for English. And in his class, we would, and he was from Indiana, like you. And uh, Mr. Tyree would have us make movies in class. And every year, our grade, each grade would make the movie. And every year I wrote our movie for my class. And I turned to him once and I said, I think this is what I want to do. Because writing scripts feels so right to me. I think I want to write movies or TV shows. And then I just said, or plays, because I love the idea of plays. And I'll never forget what he did. So he looked at me and he said, write a play, James. If you write a play, we'll produce it at school. And it was the most amazing thing because he didn't ask my parents, my mom. He didn't ask my principal. He didn't ask anyone. He just said, on the spot write a play and we'll produce it for the school and I said okay and so I wrote the worst Christmas play in the history of mankind I mean it was unbelievably awful and inappropriate the fact that this is put on at a school much a private a public school it, it is just now but it was about Santa slay being taken hostage by terrorists <laughs> and, and it involved at one point, you know, the machine guns. There's a fist fight between an elf and the Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, I played Jimmy Carter in the play. Um, we had, you know, we had all these things, and it was just really silly humor. And true to his word, we produced it for the school. And one day, we sat in the cafetorium and on the stage. And we kept doing this stupid play that I had written. There's my dog finally giving up, walking away, showing me what she thinks of her. And um, I sat in the wings, because Jimmy Carter only had one or two lines. I was not a good actor ever. So I was in the wings and I would just, I just sat there and I watched the kids in the auditorium watching the play. And they would laugh at my stupid jokes. And I thought, yeah. This is it. So it got to the point that when I was in college, when I was a senior in high school and my, my family had no money. So I was gonna be a scholarship kid at whatever school I went to. And I, had, I applied to three schools, I got into all three, and it was gonna come down to the financial aid. And it, it was basically down to, if I went to the University of Florida, I was gonna major in journalism. But if I went to Northwestern, I was gonna major in journalism or try to get into playwriting. And if I went to USC, I was gonna major in screenwriting. And USC came through with the great financial aid offer and scholarships, and that's where I went. So it was really, I, 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 I'd like to say I decided, but in, in the end, finances decided which path I was gonna choose once I got there, but I knew it was going to be writing. And interestingly, none of those were English or going to write novels. You know, the, 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 that was the that was the thing. And, and, and it was an anxious time in my house in the, in the spring semester of my senior year, not only was I leaving the town that I knew my whole life, and my mom was moving the day after I graduated from high school, but I, I was like, career paths were wide open, um, as they probably should be at that. I still decided probably at too young an age, but I knew I wanted to write.
0: Now that you've got all of these great Hollywood uh, film and television contacts, why are the wheels not turning to get this uh santa slave being attacked by terrorist movie made
1: <laughs> you know i i i rightfully did not save any copies of that so we would have to start from scratch um yeah it, it you know it 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 it, it pre it, it was in tune with with what then became very popular which were these silly naked gun comedies or other like just slap sticky kind of anything can happen things, but it, it yeah, it's, it, yeah, <laughs> I know it wasn't a sincere question, but it, I look back on that thing and I just can't believe. But but it, it's so what what it tells me is how important it is for students to get not just positive response and criticism, but encouragement to do things, and you know. First of all, him stopping English class for us to make a movie was a pretty bold move for a teacher to make. On top of that, to say, okay, James, you're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, worst case scenario, that took up two weeks of English class to memorize the play and build the sets and do all that stuff. And, and I know with the way that we have with standards and testing, it, 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 it couldn't happen. But boy, did that change my life.
0: We are uh, recording this January eleventh. So, of course, we just had uh, just had the holidays, watched a bunch of Christmas movies right up to the big day, watched uh, uh, the Santa Claus and watched the Die Hard. And now I'm thinking, just cram those two. It, is, it is Santa Claus and <laughs> Die Hard decades
1: before either of those came to be. The, those movies came, but but yeah. So so maybe I was ahead of my time, and I just just did not realize it
0: there's still time. If uh, <laughs> everyone's listening to this, like, Oh my God, I would definitely pay to see that we, we, we can make this happen. And I've always wondered, uh, a brief divergent uh, thought about Bob Woodward. Uh, Mr. Woodward, if you're listening, please come on the show. I'll, I'll ask you this question directly. But I've always wondered, since he was uh, sneaking around, meeting with Deep Throat to uncover Watergate, and it looked like quite a bit of work, quite, quite quite, an impressive feat. And then flash forward all these years later, when he's writing Rage and some of his other novels, and he's literally talking to the president on the phone, and the president is openly confessing to crimes, I always want to ask him, did. Get bored, do you feel like later life wasn't as challenging as
1: it was when you started your career <laughs> that, that's, that, that's a great that's a great thought, but the, the truth is probably and not just with that president with any president you're going to get more accurate information from deep Throat in the garage than you are from the, the mouth of the person so so it's um yeah i I think that he's had an you know it's really divergent from middle grade fiction. But um, his books were important books to me that when I went and started reading, I I read like a bunch of them in a row. Um, And what I really liked that he did and Tom Wolfe did this and um, a, a number of others in that new journalism phase, which is they wrote nonfiction as though it were fact. Right. As they, you know, as though I'm sorry, they wrote nonfiction as though it were fiction, like it, it reads like a novel. Like if you read All the President's Man, if you read The Final Days, if you read The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe, it reads like he's making this up because this is so exciting and so thrilling. And the, and it's not it's not stilted like nonfiction often was before. I do kind of an opposite. Um, I write stilted. No, I don't, um, I put a lot of nonfiction in my fiction to make it feel rooted, you know, so I do tons of research in my books and, you know, I have just spent the last two days researching the intricacies of the U S Capitol building, uh, the botanic gardens, the Brazilian embassy, and um, the the national zoo, because they're all locations in the book that I'm writing. And I'm trying to make sure that, I get the details right. So this kind of bridge between fiction and nonfiction has always kind of fascinated me, I think. Um, Really exciting nonfiction storytelling or really accurate and researched fiction storytelling.
0: Well, this um sounds like a perfect opportunity to talk a, a bit more about uh research and your habits because i know with uh city spies city of the dead available now esteemed audience okay, this is available this week depending on, on when you're listening to it pre-order it buy it
1: whatever um i know you here's actually what kills me. i'm gonna interrupt you for a second you I'm have sorry? a copy i haven't seen a copy of that book yet my copy hasn't arrived and now two or three people have shown me pictures that they have so hold it up for me let me take a better peek at that Turn, let me see the back. Let me see the back. Oh yeah, I can't wait to get mine. Okay, all right. You know, I have two copies. Oh, <laughs> they, sent, they sent me so a. I assume that soon I'll have more. You know, on the seventh, I'll just go ahead and buy them. But yeah, okay.
0: Um, so I know with, uh, with with City of the Dead, you contacted an Egypt an Egyptologist to, to help you with your research, but these are uh, the 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 City Spy series. Um, this, is why they're 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 traveling to many famous international locations the Great Wall of China et cetera et cetera and um, do you get to go to some of these places firsthand or is it enough to do the reading? How do you get yourself uh, in the headspace of what it would be like to be in these locations
1: okay so um the the I'm currently writing the fifth City Spice book the fourth one is the one that's coming out now um, Add to that the three Frame books and the three dead city books so that's 10 novels altogether. 11 with the with the new one coming up there are only two of those where I haven't been to the places that the books were set in and those were the two books that came out that I wrote during COVID that said I don't know that I could afford it to go to Moscow and Beijing and Cairo but um afforded time or money or whatever but I try to go to all of and I try to really research for the new book that I'm writing now. Um, my wife and I went to Venice, which is, you know, that's a great excuse to be able to go to Venice, Uh, research there, and I did extensive research in Washington and New York um, for, I've been to London, I've been to that part of Scotland where they're set, I've been to Paris, I've been to, you know, so I, otherwise I've been, and I really go, I go with the researcher's mind, but also I go with, you know, part of my life has been in film production. And so, I, I always have loved geography. I've always loved travel. I did a travel show for a number of years. Um, and I did a show for the History Channel that that went to places where famous things happened. And when I would go to these places, I wanna learn about them, but also I wanna know where to set the camera, right? So part of the job of scouting a location is you go, to, and so like, if I am going to, let me think of a, a, a You know, okay, I I did a story on the George Washington Bridge in in New York for the History Channel. And so I went to New York and I would figure out, okay, if I stand here in New Jersey at this park, I can interview someone and the background is filled with the bridge and that's a good thing. Or if I go here, I can shoot on the bridge at the traffic coming. And I go and I scout out the locations. You know, we went to, um, you know, LA and I would go, where do you see the Hollywood sign? Where do you see the Chinese theater? And you go, and, and then you get more detailed. I, I did a travel show in, in London and I did a week just figuring out where I was going to put the camera once I got there. Right. So I do the same with the, with the books. I go to, and there's a scene that takes place in the train station in Murrow, Scotland, um, where they're following someone. Well, I, you know, I set it in Edinburgh Park because I knew I was going to be going there for for another thing, and I went and I went to the air, I went to the train station. Then later that in the middle of the night, I went to the airport because there was a scene there, and I walked all around and I thought, well, if I was making the movie, where would I where would I set the movie? Oh, this is a really interesting location, and oh, from here, if you stand here and do this, then you can see something that you wouldn't realize you could see, and then I write the book based on that scout. So it, it really helps me be creative because the more you know, then the more you can go up there's um right now what i've just been writing this week takes place at the, the British Embassy and the Brazilian Embassy and in. Um, in Washington DC, and so I went there early in the morning and I took a bunch of pictures and I walked and I said oh wow so there's this great statue of Winston Churchill. And the way the statue is built, Churchill is taking a stride and he's holding his fingers up in the victory sign. And, and I knew this, but also it said on the plaque, I had noted from research, it's built over the border. So one foot is in the embassy property, so it's in the United Kingdom, and one foot is in the US. And it's, it's, he's bridging the gap between England and the US. And oh, that's neat. But what I didn't know until I went there is across the street is Nelson Mandela, and he's holding up the power fist. Right, and so in front of the South uh, South African Embassy, but if you stand behind Winston and you look at now, it looks like they're getting the morning paper and waving at each other because he's got his finger up and he's got that, and it's like saying, "Yo, Nelson, how's it going?" He's like, "Winnie, my man," you know, and it's like, and so it's like, I thought a kid will like that more than the facts of who these guys are. So that's the thing that I didn't know. And then across the street from the Brazilian Embassy which I needed because one of my characters is Brazilian, is this amazing thing, which I, I knew was there, but I wanted to do research, which is the Iranian embassy. So the Iranian embassy in Washington, D.C. has been empty since 1979, right? We, the, the, the Iranians in Tehran stormed the U.S. embassy. We cut all diplomatic relations. But they own, the embassy itself is part of Iran, but we don't have relations with them. So they can't come here to do anything with it, but we can't do anything to it. So there's a building in some of the most prime real estate in Washington, DC, that sat vacant for 40 years. And if you go there, like do my math right, is it 40? Yeah, over and if you, so the windows are boarded, and it's just this really eerie, haunted house. I'm like, well, that's kind of neat. And so I went there early one morning, hoping I wasn't gonna get arrested because I didn't know what the laws were, and I just started taking pictures so that if I want to use this. I can So I do that. I have pictures. I have them on my phone. I load them on my computer. And when I'm writing scenes, I pull up the research photos to help me set the stage, but also to remind me of the, oh, what did it sound like? What did it look like? What did it smell like? How crowded was it? What was the feeling there? And so I really try to research the places as good as I can that way. The ending of that book, book five, um, takes place at the New York Public Library. And I got a tour behind the scenes there. With my editor and my wife and it's it's unreal how cool it is behind the scenes of it and and one of my favorite parts is the fact that the stacks in the middle of the library no longer hold the books that their books are now kept in a more environmentally protected area that's underneath bryant park but the bookcases are empty but they're still there because the bookcases hold up the building because when they built the building they never. Th- they thought, well, there are always be bookcases. So the bookcases are actually towers and then the floors just go up to them, but there's a slit and you can look down and you can see all the way down to the ground because they're really giant beams that are holding up the building. And then these cool little things that look like they're droids, little tramp, that carry the books on tracks to and front. And it's like, only being back here doing the research, do I, I could do a generic description if I had never been here or if I'd never researched, they go behind the scenes. And there were, and I could have made up stuff that would probably, but it would have been, eh. Yeah. But by going and finding all the stuff that's really there, I feel like I can now really write something exciting that makes you feel like you've been there. Because that was what was great about From the Mixed Up Files, and it's basically Frank Weiler. I was a kid in Atlantic Beach, Florida, and I was reading this book about this girl who ran away and camped out every night inside the Metropolitan Museum of Art, while she was hiding from her parents. And that was a real place. And the artworks she was talking about were real artworks. And that jump is what hooked me. That, oh, I could go, when I go to New York someday, I can be in this room that's in this book. And I wanted that. Out of curiosity, when you're scouting for the
0: History Channel, these famous locations yeah. as part of your contractual obligation to look around and, and, and wonder: Could that have been built by ancient aliens? Could that have been built by ancient
1: aliens? That, that's only if you're working for, I think, Discovery. Discovery. If, you, if you're working if when you're working for the History Channel, you're only supposed to look back and not in the alien component. That's part of the contract. But but still, you can't help but 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 wonder sometimes. Was my sandwich made by ancient? Sure, <laughs> ancient astronauts. And of course,
0: you you you've got to do the the research, especially with today's kids so savvy. You can slap on a virtual reality helmet and be anywhere in the world and get a detailed look. You can walk around and and, and see it in person, so to speak, close enough. Um, but you don't want to get so bogged down in the research that you're not focused on the story. So when you approach a new city spies, this is a good time to ask since you're, you're working on book five as we talk. Um, What do you start with? Do you sit down and say, okay, this is the emotional arc that I want to achieve. Do you have some kind of plot or do you just go by your pants and and fill it down as you go? What's your, what's your starting point?
1: There's two or three basic starting points. So, so city spies, like I said, it's five kids fall into the cracks. Each is, Each has their own special thing. They they use as their code names the cities that they're from. So there's Brooklyn and Rio and Sydney and Kat from Kathmandu and Paris are the five kids. Well, we made a decision really early on in the conceptual phase that the books would have different main characters. So we would rotate between those four kids, who's really kind of the lead, and they're not so much the protagonists as they're the plus one. So Paris is gonna lead the way, the other four are gonna be right there. So I know with each story I have, I need to address four, five story arcs. So each of the kids really, the, the other thing that, that's wonderful, but also then adds to it is, I know from talking to kids, readers, young readers, everyone has their favorites and they're all different. So it's like, I can't ignore Cat for a book because I will alienate one fifth of the readers, right? So they all have to have their stories, but someone has a major story that's more about them. So the first two things I need to know at the start of the book is who's the lead and where's the final destination of the book because what's gonna be on the cover. Where's the What's the cover art? The idea at the very beginning was as simple as each cover has a famous landmark, and you're gonna know where you're going the second you see it. Oh, it's gonna end up in Paris. Oh, it's gonna end up at the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Um, and so I need to know where it's going, and then I try to combine those things. And then you, very early, if not really at the very beginning, though, is like, what's the problem this time? What's the conflict that that main character is going through? And how do I make it different? So it doesn't feel like, you know, murder she wrote and every week, someone else getting knocked off in Cabot Cove and she's got to figure it out. I want them to feel different each time. I want them to feel like, oh, this one is more action or, oh, this one's technological, oh, this one, but still true to themselves. So that's the balance. The the, the, the beginning half of the process, there's a lot of back and forth of trying to wedge in all the elements so they don't feel wedged in. So, okay, so we're gonna have, there's code, there's excitement. Okay, there's um, a couple thrilling locations. There is a very, you know, I feel like the plot line is already on the edge, right? It's 12 year olds, 13 year olds, 14 year olds who are working for MI6. So if that seems out of the norm, I better make sure that the conflicts these kids are going through hit, hit home that they are what kids go through everyday life, what found family is like. Cause found family is a very big part of these books for me. It's the, to me, the books are really ultimately about these five kids and these two adults from all different places, forming a family that's a real family and their family first by second and how the decisions play out because of that and what that means to be a family. And so I'm wrestling with that. And once I feel like I've got a good, okay, I I know what that conflict is. I know who my main character is. I know kind of where we're headed. What's the mystery just on a basic one? And I have those elements, that, okay, now I can write. And that's really up until that. So that's all part of the writing process, but you're not really putting any words in the page until those things are figured out. And once I have that, then it's hopefully off to the races. But Usually they're tortoise races, not thoroughbred races. You know, it's still, (laughs) it's still slow. It's still a slow process, but um, yeah, but I'm getting better at it hopefully now, 10 books in. I want to see the
0: unwritten episode of Murder, She Wrote, where Angela looks around and says, oh my God, everyone in town has finally been murdered. They're they're all dead now, and I guess the murderer must be me, just by default. That's where (laughs) it was headed.
1: That's where I think it would, now that would have been the bold, New heart ending, right? That though She wakes up at the end and then she's in prison and it's like, oh, she's killed them all. But no, so, no. <laughs> so, um, so you've got your
0: your outline. You know what your conflict's going to be. So what does the writing process, it's a tortoise race. What does that tortoise race look like? You get up every day and you're working on it a little bit or is it in short tortoise sprints? Uh,
1: I don't have an outline. I have elements, but I don't really outline I I try to flesh out so an outline of sorts the first say quarter of it. Um, So then my hope is to always stay ahead a few chapters of okay now we're heading in this direction. So I like discovery along the way, but I also like to know that you know it's not aimless discovery. Um, No, I you know. The beauty is I no longer work in television. I, I loved it, but I'm happy to be over over it. Um, I wake up early every morning because my wife's a high school teacher and she gets up early. I walk the dog and I sit here in this room and I start trying to write. And um, I try to write through the morning and a good part of the afternoon. And then when the creative stuff falls off in my brain I try to shift over to the other things, websites, um, promotion, um, research, what are you doing two books from now, you know, and and all that kind of stuff. I'm at the point now where, but I I always fall behind at that. And I'm at the point now where this book is literally due in about a week. And so I am wake up at five, start writing, walk the dog at seven, keep writing go to bed, walk the dog a couple more times, eat a couple of times and go to bed at midnight to wake up at five and start over the next day. And it's just write all day, trying to get through this at the end. But it's also kind of fun because I, you know, with, with mystery, so much of it is set up that once, once the dominoes have all finally been set up, you get to watch them start to fall. And, and at that point, the writing by necessity, but also by design does go faster
0: two weeks I appreciate you make a time to to chat with
1: me oh for you no that's great that's right yeah but what about you how is your writing process is it different than that is it similar than that
0: uh pretty similar um so obviously the closer we we get to deadline time uh, but my my deadlines are artificially manufactured I say it has to be done by then but it's it's specifically so I have enough time to rewrite
1: I'm a far better rewriter than I am a writer okay you know the the thing that I do a lot is I Rewrite a lot as I go along. So, like a lot of time, like usually on a Monday, I'll go back like five or six chapters, and I will reread them and tweak them along the way, and then have a running speed when I get to the current chapter. But then I keep doing that. I've gone over those chapters a lot. Not not to say I don't do a ton of rewrite, but for me, I need to keep rewriting throughout, you know. And then, well, I'll give it to my editor, and then we'll rewrite it again with her. You know, and then and then and then I'll have another voice telling me what does and doesn't work. Um, but for the, for the longest time, because I worked television, I did all my writing um, late at night or on the weekend. So I would write until three or four in the morning with um, sweet tea and Mountain Dew or something like that to keep me up. And it just wasn't a healthy way to live. So now I'm, I'm now. But what I find that's odd is now that I've been able to do this all the time. Um, I can't stay up. I, I've also I've eliminated caffeine from my life, but um, I can't stay up late. I I, I try. I can I can maybe write to midnight or one a.m. But boy, it's, it's, I don't know what the return on investment is at that point. So, so I, I like this. I like daytime writing. It's nice. <laughs> I'm awake. I'm alert. It's very good. Well, uh, with um, can, I'll. I'll, I'll Going back, what is it about television writing
0: that necessitated writing so late?
1: No, the, the problem is I'd work at TV all day on my TV job. Then I come home and to write a book, I wouldn't be home. I, I'd have to wait till the kids were asleep. It would be eleven o'clock at night, midnight that I could start. So that was for years. I did. I started. I started doing. I, I wrote a couple romantic comedies for Simon Pulse. That I. I say I've written ten books. If you go. To, to, I mean, technically I'd probably written 30, but I did, um, books that were tie-ins for like Disney movies. People, oh, well you used to write movies and you know how to do this. So we'll send you the screenplay to this Pirates of the Caribbean movie and write a a novelization of it. And so that took creativity, but it didn't take as much because you you have the character, you have, you're, you're adapting at that point. And so I would do that stuff at night to raise money, to pay for, life and kids and you know tuition and whatever it was um so that writing had to be done at night and i and i told my wife i said you know I, which was good for me because that's kind of anonymous writing and since i didn't have the academic and it's not all about i could but i didn't train to be a novelist and i didn't have all those years of reading as a kid that other people do to build on that became kind of like a secret grad school for me that I was writing these books late at night and I was developing the muscles necessary to write a hundred pages story. Okay, a 200 page story. Okay, descriptions of this. Okay, well here we want you just to make something up. Okay, you know, and so that was, and, and I got to a point, and then I wrote the first seven books that I've written. The, all, I wrote all the frame books, all the dead city books, and the first couple city spies books that way late at night the weekend and 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 they were doing okay and they were getting well received enough and i pull off to go imagine what i could do if i was wasn't always so tired when i was writing them and so now i get to find out that i'm still tired and (laughs) i don't know that i'm any better but that it was you know hopefully the books are getting better hopefully i'm getting better at, at doing it as i go
0: so it was uh, 12, 12 years ago at uh, age 44, which I know because you tweeted about it here recently. Um, you decide that you're you're going to start a new year with a with a new beginning, and you're going to launch into this. Now, you've already got a tremendous career. I mean, you worked on the, the Mickey Mouse Club, and you knew Ryan Gosling, Justin Timberlake, Preston and Britney Spears, right. and Aguilera way back when. So already a tremendously successful career. What is it that, that precipitates that? Okay, this year I'm changing things at age 44, 12 years ago, we're doing this. And, and now you've done it tremendously. We're about to see book number five in, this year, in your series.
1: Um, so uh, we had two kids um, and my oldest son was severe, severely autistic and epileptic. And he he never developed any kind of speech or communication skills. He um, He had... 10 to 15 seizures every day, and he had a really hard life. He's great, wonderful, beautiful kid. And as he got older, he still he had an aide at school, and they but he wasn't really doing things academically. But he was still, but at a certain age, he could no longer go to school. And so um, we knew that was coming up. You know, and you're when you're you have kids, you plan you know you, you try to be responsible when you have special needs kids you really plan a lot and so you know years back I, I i sat with my wife and i said realistically we have to accept the fact or accept we have to plan for the fact that one of us needs to be home with him at all times because he had so many seizures that you didn't have to just be with him you had to physically be with him and hold him if he were moving because he would fall and he could break a bone he could cut his face all things that that happen and um, even with us with him all the time. And I said, and realistically, even though television pays better than being a school teacher, school teacher is much more reliable. So we should rely on the fact that your job is consistent. So we need to develop for me a job that I can do at night so that I can watch Alex throughout the day And you can come home from school at night, or you can come home from school and you'll take over watching him and I'll work. And I mean, watch it, like we would have to lay in bed with him for three hours. We'd rotate every hour, more or less, just to hold him because of the seizures so he could fall asleep. And so I said, you know, this book thing that I've been toying around with for extra money for doctors and for all this kind of stuff, maybe I can do this. If I take it seriously, maybe I can do it. Start my dog, Lucy, come here. I will pet you while we're doing this. And so, um, so he said, so I said, maybe what I need to do is try to see if I could really write a book. And so, um, as opposed to the other books, which was, hey, James, we'll give you X amount of dollars, no royalties, if you adapt this, this thing, I said, sure. And so I came up with this idea about these high school kids who fight the undead in New York City. And I submitted it. And I I just, I sent it to an agent and I sent it to Simon Schuster because that's who I had done a lot of the work for. So I knew someone there. And both of them wrote back that um, they really liked the idea but that it's not a young adult novel. I thought it was a young adult novel They said, you know, this is the content that you write is middle grade, but these kids in this book are too old for middle grade. So either you would have to make it content fit and it was both kind of frank and in a kind way. It's like, we don't know if that's the writing that you're really meant to do or you're gonna have to make their ages fit. And I had already spent a lot of time working on this. I thought, okay, well, okay, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. And this was like in summer. And I didn't have full faith in it. So I would toy with it and toy with it every now and then. But the need was still there for me to find this new career. And so, um, like in November, I realized, well, I'm, cl- I'm close. And so I finished adapting the, I had only sent them seven chapters, six, seven chapters to be middle grade instead of young adult. And I thought, well, they, they won't even remember. It's been so long, I've missed the chance. And it was December, I said, I know what I'll do. I'll wait a week. And I'll send it, and I'll make it seem like it was purposely sending it on New year's as a good luck thing for all of us like <laughs> here's it. so I wrote in the email, here's our thing to start the new year this you 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 and I, and I you may not remember, but you liked it and and hopefully now you really like it and in new year and both the agent and the editor responded within twenty four hours of each other a few weeks later that they absolutely wanted to do it. And so that was now becoming the thing. So I like, I'll get this and I'll get this. And when I have to quit my TV job, I'll have a career. Um, as it happened, our, our son passed away um, about four years into that. And it's obviously devastating. You know, he died. So we, we, we had every reason to think he was gonna live to a very old age. And, and yes, he had a lot of problems, but he was an amazing kid and loved The light of our life you know and and so i couldn't write for a while the writing part of me was just every part of me was was turned off and eventually i i i I have to keep going with the story and oddly i found that in writing these books it kept part of him alive it was like he's the reason for the the books in the first place and he's imbued in it. Him and my other son, my other son's amazing, but you know, it was the, the, the... And no, I'm gonna keep writing these, even though I don't have to for the reason I thought I have to, I have to for another reason. And so they become my ongoing testament to my amazing son, Alex. And hopefully the books do well and reach people. And, and every now and then I'll get letters from people uh, emails and calls from people parents at children's hospitals, and they talk about you know your book has really been important to us as my daughter goes through chemotherapy or as my son is going through this treatment because we're in a ho- we're in a hospital room we can't go anywhere and, and this has happened multiple times, which is amazing to me, and we read the book as a family and in in an area where we don't have a lot of joy, this is bringing us joy. And all I can think of are all the hours I've spent in children's hospitals or hospitals. And I feel like, all right, Alex, you are helping out more and more. Of
0: course, cat is neurodivergent. Is that a part of trying to yes. express and, and bring acceptance to people?
1: Yeah, my, my my other son is also, my other son is on the spectrum-ish, and, and that really is a lot for him. You know, it was, uh, all, all my books actually have featured a character like that. The, um, the Frame books, the main character, Florian, looks at the world differently. Um, and in Dead City books, the main character, Actually, I have to make a side character named after my son um, has that trait. And, and what I really wanted to tap into because I saw it firsthand was looking at the world differently is not a bad thing, especially, when, you know, when you, it, 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 at all. I mean, it's 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 a gift that has a lot of hard things you have to work through, but it's great in problem solving, you know, and, and, and so tapping into that. I think if. You know, I've heard them say it's not the case, but if you see the, the Sherlock, the, the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock, he, he seems to be on the spectrum. It's like, we, if a kid can read that, and I've had kids with Asperger's write to me about, oh, I read this book and I felt like that's me. And it's like, it's such a great feeling for me, but it's, um, I want to empower kids to use their brains, their friendship, and their creativity that's really at the heart of all these books. And that's all the brains and all the different types of creativity. And so yeah, so that that ties in the all the characters in the the books that I write are based on me, my kids, my my wife, our friends, people I know, not directly anyone but more like bits and pieces of everyone. You know, let's put these three together here and let's put these three together there and it really is um a really interesting way to, to to appreciate the people around you, if you try to get in their head a little bit, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, I sh- you know if, I, if it's true of this character, then I should probably be a little more sensitive to, to it person to person, because now I, I realize by thinking this way, that it's a different way of seeing the world, that makes sense now. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense the way I explain it, but yeah, it does transfer onto the page for me.
0: Of course, you're writing about characters from of all sorts of different nationalities, different cultures, different um different races. So when you're doing that, how do you get the feedback you need to make sure that you're representing everybody, everybody honestly and authentically or, or as much as you can?
1: Well, you know, so there's there's a bunch of ways. And I, I'd say that's the single most challenging part of writing the City Spice book for me not the research not the spy stuff it's the it's the being true to the characters being honorable about the approach to them um i was born in italy and moved here as a kid Um, my brothers have a different father they were born in the united states but they grew up partly in italy so those are all european white cultures but from my whole life there was a sense of culture mixture, and I really liked it. It was a a real key part of who we were and who I was. And and I wanted that international feel because I felt like the international component of our family life was really great. And it gave me a view of the world that maybe was different if I had been born and raised in the town where I spent most of my childhood. Um, And I wanted kids from all over, you know, as um, the frame books, started getting translated into different languages and i thought wow i I should really think of all the kids who are going to read these books i want them all to be able to see themselves and so i i early on i said i want the kids from all over the world um and and not only that i'm going to set the book in mi6 uk instead of cia usa um because i think as an event you know we all love. Don't at all but i love james bond and there's a neat component of ooh that that spy them with an accent where if you talk about the cia if you live here you there's all the the controversies maybe or you know i wanted to do, avoid politics and have it just be sorry so i got into who these kids were i made kind of a promise to myself that i would only write about the things of them that were relevant in my life. So this concept of a family forming, types of identity issues of who am I, but not who am I ethnically, but who am I as a young 14 year old, right? Um, the dynamics of character. And that I would really search out great people that I could talk to when I touched on areas that I wasn't sure of and ask them about it, you know, so, and there, a lot of them are the writers, so there's Supriya Kalkar, um, who is a great writer, um, she's Desi, her family's from India, um, which is not the same as Nepal, but there have been times when there have been questions about Kat's religion that I, I I, would, I'll talk to her about, it. and actually she she flatly told me, to she goes, just don't write about that. <laughs> just take that out of the story, and she said I, I I don't doubt that you can write it well, but there's just no benefit to that she goes I get attacked by people because there are different sides to this that i, I when I write about my grandmother in India, I get attacked by people who said, well, but you're representing us you know so look at that um christina Diaz Gonzalez is a, a dear friend of mine she's Cuban American she lives in miami um and even though Brooklyn is Puerto Rican, which I really wanted, because I wanted to stress the fact that she's, um, it's American, even though, you know, she's Puerto, you know, she, uh, and, and, and then they didn't put me in touch specifically with people sometimes who are specifically from where these people are from. So I try to be very careful, and I, I try to make sure that I, I do a ton of research, but I, I am constantly, on looking after myself and telling my, uh, my editor, we just have to make sure that we don't breach into things that are inauthentic or things that we shouldn't be the ones telling. So I'll give an example, which is um, Paris. So Paris in this book, in the books, Paris is um, was a refugee from Africa, living in Paris when he was he met Mother, and now he lives in Scotland. And there's a writer I know named Abir Mukherjee who writes these great mystery books, um, and Abir is in. in Indian family who grew up in Scotland and lives in London. And I was talking to Abir once, and Abir says, you know, it's funny, he says, I I don't belong anywhere. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, he goes, in London, they think I'm Scottish. In Scotland, they think I'm Indian. In India, they think I'm British. No one thinks I'm with them. And I'm all of those things. And I thought, there's a real dynamic that I wanna touch on with Paris that Paris has an identity crisis of some sort because African, French, Scottish, but I don't want it to be about his specifically African identity and racial identity because that's not for me to write about. So I'm not gonna write about that part, but I do kind of understand this, am I more French or more British or more whatever? And and kind of like this core of like, How do you see yourself? I think we all know that. How do you see, how do we see ourselves? So I have to find this one and be really careful. And then I have to have some sensitivity readers read what I've written and make sure I haven't inadvertently crossed the line. And then I have um, my editors read. And that's, I mean, it's a very long answer that probably didn't really answer your question, but I'm constantly trying to find this thing and, you know, One day, hopefully if it becomes a movie or TV series, it'll be great because then the cast will be, they will know all that stuff and they will be of those places and they will know. But um, it it, it is a lot of research, it is a lot of caution and it is remembering that mostly what I'm writing about are families, on a a family on an adventure trying to solve a mystery and keeping to that because that is I think the appropriate turf for me to write on. That's a fantastic answer. That's, that's absolutely
0: outstanding advice. Um, coming up here, uh, you're writing book five. Do you have some envisioned ending for the series at some point or so long as
1: families are giving you feedback and everybody's loving it, you're going to keep going? Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't have the master plan for how it ends. So I, I, I think the books have to work a certain way. I think every book has to be a standalone start to finish i haven't read any others i'm not going to read any more i want to be fully satisfied by this book that i read it has to have a mystery adventure mission case whatever you call the plot dynamic it has to have um emotional resonance um character arc it has to have all these things but i think a series also has to have a connection to the other books and you want an ongoing storyline that is addressed and adapted and with enough satisfaction that I don't feel like, as a reader, I'm being teased along endlessly. So for example, The, the Famous and Friends, will Rachel and Ross get together, or not to get together? And the problem with that is if they do, then you gotta break them up, or the, the, it, you don't know how long the show's gonna go. So I don't know how long this, the book series is going to go. And I don't have an ultimate answer to the big storyline, but I do try to resolve major parts of it. And I do try to keep that going. And I would, I'm happy to write this for as long as Simon Schuster is happy to publish it, and people are happy to read it. But I will every now and then call my editor up and say, Hey, you know, like for instance, right now I'm contracted to at least six episodes, six books. And I will write, I'll, I'll talk to my editor. She's awesome, Kristen Gilson. I'll talk to Kristen, and I'll say, Okay, Kristen, I want to put you on the spot. I'm not putting you on the spot. I know we are contracted at this point only to six. I'm asking for any commitment other than that. But if in your mind, six is the end, I need to know in five so that I can set up the stuff that we're going to want to do at six to wrap this up satisfactorily. And if not, uh, or if you think it might be, I can put some of it in, but what I don't want to do is I don't want to set up the finale. And then have us go four more because then it'll be like, wait, I thought we were building to something and so. She's been really good about that. And we'll talk and she'll, luckily she said, I don't don't see any reason to wrap it up. So like, okay, that's all I need to know. And um, so I don't know how long it'll go. I do know I'm starting a new series next year. One of the reasons I wanted to start the series partly is because I'm not doing television. And I I wanted to have, I want to have the security of, okay, I know what I'm gonna be doing for a while, but also um, I wanted to be able to be ramping something up if and when City Spies ramps down. So hopefully readers have a continuous experience and I have a continuous connection with them. Um, but I think for a while, it's just gonna be the two going simultaneously. And hopefully, hopefully Sherlock Society catches on too and I get to write more than just a couple of those.
0: Well, there you go, esteemed audience. If you wanna see City Spies book 10, you better get out there and buy book four.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Or check out the library, you know, we want to buy, we want to sell, but I, I, I don't want to, I don't want you to have to spend that much money to keep up with me. So just buy every now and then definitely buy Sherlock society when it comes out. So that plot is really fun that I'm really excited about. It's a multi-generational story in the sense that it's a family, a three generation family in Miami and uh, the kids are bored and the grandfather who re- is a retired, um, Columnist or investigative reporter from the Miami Herald, and so they end up investigating his old cold cases that he was never able to solve, decades earlier. And he's kind of like the third wheel as they drive around South Florida, digging around the Everglades or going to the Keys looking for Al Capone's lost treasure. You know all these, and and it's a really fun dynamic that's different than what I've written, but still fits with what I've written.
0: And that that's uh, the first two
1: are available now and there are more no, 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 no. sherlock society doesn't come out until 24. so i'm I, I i that's not i'm just writing two books a year now and so that is the day after i turn it i finish city spies five i'm writing back on sherlock society so keeps my mind
0: with, with framed i don't want to ask why we're talking about your series uh, city of the dead is that meant to be kind of a sneaky oh form?
1: i i can't believe i did that so dead city <laughs> and city of the dead it was because the City of the Dead is a location in Egypt that they visit, and it's also another name for the um, the necropolis where all the the pharaohs are. And we like the word city and it fit. And then it wasn't only after we committed to it that oh wait I've already had a whole series called Dead City and now I have City of the Dead and the Google algorithms will confuse. It's like okay well it's it's done so. I like oh, the cover though the uh, readers will fall in love with city of the dead and they'll say, oh, well now I' will go check out dead city they're very, they're different, though. The they're very different there are no zombies in city of the dead there are mo- and it um it was it was fun to research that yeah so I on that one I, I talked to a leading Egyptologist and i there's an amazing website called the Theban mapping project where they are using computers and and they are going in and they are mapping all the tombs in the valley of the kings and pictures and diagrams and really detailed information and I I, it was it wasn't the same as being there but boy did I was I able to recreate a lot of it here from the from my office during COVID it's pretty great.
0: Something I'm I'm watching our time and it's it's flying by but I wanted to ask you because I've seen you say elsewhere um, that you are an upbeat and optimistic person, that this is a great strength of yours, and that has to be uh, given your your careers working in television and, and and now in in publishing. How do you maintain that in the face of the inevitable setbacks, bad news, and and other things that that are going to be part of the that just go with the territory?
1: You know, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe your outlook is wired, pre wired. I I don't know. I I, I feel fortunate that. You know, I I do, I feel upbeat, I feel optimistic. Um, there are a lot of things in the world that I wish were different. There are obviously things in my life that I wish were different, you know. Um, but I've had a pretty amazingly happy life, um, even with the tremendous sadness of losing my son, which eight years later is still at my core, impossible to accept sometimes. But, you know, I, I went on a blind date in college and met the love of my life and have spent 33 years with her building a life together. Um, I had grew up in a family that didn't have much money, but had a mom who was fun and adventurous and we saw things and went places that, you know, it was great. Um, I've got incredible friends in the writing community, friends in life, and it's. It's, you know, it, it, I think positively, positivity brings back positivity, but it's not a Pollyanna thing. It's not a, um, you know, an artificial thing. It's, you know, I, I you know, partly growing up, I, I, I never knew my father and I could have gone two ways with that. I could have gone bitter about, you know, I should have a father, he should be part of my life. Even if my parents weren't together, he should be able to like I I never met him, I never saw him, not really 100% sure who he was. But I had a mom who was just there for me and loved me and encouraged me. And I thought, you know, I'm getting more positive out of my one parent than a lot of people I know are getting out of there too. So I should look at it that way. And I should look, you know, I, 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 a, a philosophy of life and strategy is always to look for the positive positive in the negative, And it's not, and that's because a lot of times that's where the strength is. Um, In television production, it's like, no, the, the negative is that we don't have money for the budget. The positive is, that means we get to be more creative because we don't. That means there's less expectation because we don't. So grace the negative and make it a positive. And so I thought, well, I don't, have a father but i also don't have the negative baggage that i see some fathers giving their kids so i can imagine what did i want a father to be and then when i have kids that'll be the touchstone of what i aim for no i got you know and, and again i i, I it, it's pretty easy to be positive when a lot of your life goes well and and you know and I, and i understand that you know a lot of people would love to write books and I get to do that. You know, a lot of people love to work in television and I, I, got, I got to do that. And, you know, I have often worked in environments where the goal is to make people laugh. You know, when we have all the writers together at Mickey Mouse Club, it's like, all right, this isn't funny, make me laugh. And you're surrounded by really smart people that are funny and they're making you laugh and you want to be up for that challenge and do the same. And... Yeah, it is. life is beautiful, and there's so many great, amazing things out there, so I try to focus on them, and I try to be realistic about the negatives and accept them for what they are, but try to fix them or move on from them. I know you have a, a, a famous writer friend who was
0: who, who you worked with in television, who wrote a series that rhymes with Gunger Hames. Yeah, but, no, Suzanne. When you see something, somebody blow up like that, does that does the green eye of jealousy
1: come out a little bit, or is it more of an never, I no. hope that never happens? No, I, I, I I really don't. Um. So, so yeah, so Suzanne Collins is one of my oldest friends. Um, she's like a sister in a lot of ways. Um, especially for a period of my life when we work together every day, almost every day. And, and she was a great guide, um, as a writer and she's a great guide as a person, wonderful person and amazing guide. When I saw her go through this phenomenal supernova, how she remained unchanged as a person. And that was so inspiring. No, you know, um, I, I, I was in, a film major in school. And when I was a film major, I got to work. We we'd do a thing. Oh, we had a mentorship program. And I got to hang around with some people who were pretty successful. Like I'd be the 20 year old in the room with like a film director or film screenwriter who I thought had everything I wanted in life. And I saw not all of them were happy or they would interact with people who were really successful and not happy and other people who, and, and I realized that career happiness and personal happiness don't necessarily line up. You know, so happiness is the more important thing. But also I saw that success is, you know, I wouldn't, I'll never have the success Suzanne had with the Hunger Games. I, that's fine with me. You know, I, I, I think Suzanne would tell you she doesn't exactly know how that happened. You know, and 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 and, and you know, sometimes something, will, but um it was amazing to watch. You know, and I, I've seen all types of success, though. I've seen, you know, um Stuart Gibbs, a good friend of mine. Stuart's been really successful, you know, in his book. And I've been friends with him long enough, which is great with Suzanne, because I was with her before she started writing books to see the levels and the oh. He's now moved up to here oh, or she's now done this Or now it's gonna be a movie or now it's gonna be that you know and I went to the I went to the three of the movie premieres with her. And she had a group of friends that went to these things and and it was funny to see this now it's like oh this Hunger Games used to just be her and now it's these people that are making this movie and and no um. I I jealousy is luckily something I don't have much of. I mean this or envy. There are times when you go, "God, I wish I didn't have that." You know, there's certainly that in life, you see. Um but mostly it's like, no, this good people doing good things and enough works out that no that'll that'll be good. And and I'm sure there are probably some people where I feel like I'm just scrapping away. It's like oh, God, he's got it made. He's got he gets to do that. I mean, there's always levels of 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 whatever and, you know, I get to write books for a living. Um, I get to write books for a living enough that um I'm not worried about where I'm living or what I'm eating. I get to go on trips and do some nice things. Um I get to connect with people who say things like we read your book in the hospital. And it means the world to us. And everything beyond that is gravy. You know, everything is, is just, I'm excited to see what it will be. And I want to, you know, I would love it if one of these books became a movie. But I'm not losing sleep over that. But if it happens, I'll try to hang on and enjoy that adventure. But um, I know ultimately who I am. And and that's that's more than enough for me.
0: Ms. Collins, if you're listening, come on the show, tell me your side of things. And I'll tell you about how the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is the best in the series. Just amazing. Um, How do you maintain uh, some perspective of Keeping your personal happiness separate from your career happiness, which, by the way, your career is going phenomenally well. You're on the 200th episode of Middle Grade Ninja. That's sake. Nice. And your up. skills are incredible for for City Spies. So you're doing great. <laughs> but how how do you maintain that personal happiness and separate that from what's going on with your career?
1: Um, I, I don't separate it. Um, I only really worry about it. Um, and and <laughs> career like I, I've always needed to write enough to make enough to feed the kids, right? You know, so yeah, you have to focus on the job, but um, I, I have this theory in life. I, I, I try to, to listen to my, my son and anyone who will listen. And it's called, the, uh, um, you know, it's about nouns and, and verbs. And that the problem that we make, I think, um, especially when we're young and we start setting these goals for ourselves, but really at, at a lot of stages in our life, anything aspirational, a lot of times we think in terms of nouns. I would like to have uh, this house, this car, this salary, this thing, a boat, uh, whatever it could be. But nouns are things, and things are never going to make you happy, right? Things are never going to reciprocate emotion. And even if you get those things, and I've seen people get the things they wanted, and be like, really, is that it? And so I told my son when he was graduating college and when he's getting married, like that. And I said, life is so much better if you are your aspirations all just involve verbs. I want to create. Um, I want to laugh. I want to travel. I want to um, love. Right? I want to do these things because the verbs, if you do them, bring the nouns on their own. You know i didn't set out to make the new york times bestseller list as much as i'm thrilled to be on it and i thought about it but that wasn't the thing i set out to write books and that books by doing that that took me on the new york times bestseller list so the now the now came but if my whole goal was i'm gonna do what it takes to get on the new york times bestseller list and this is a, And then you get there, it's like, okay, so now, you know, my life didn't change the next day. It was just a neat thing. But the neat thing was, oh, you know what it is? It shows that this book thing that we have all been working on, because it's not me. It's me. It's my wife. It's my family. It's my editor, the publisher. We've all been working on these books. I get my name on the cover. I get the credit. We've all been working on it. And now the New York Times list, you know what? That's a chance for us to say, way to go keep doing what we're doing. But the focus has always got to be on the verbs. You know, My verbs are hang with my wife, <laughs> be creative, laugh with my friends, go great places. Maybe watch the Red Sox, you know? And all you of know, this last year, that was a, not a good verb. Focus <laughs> on the verbs and that is where happiness is. And often that is where success is. I, I don't know if any of that makes sense. Because my son would always look at me like, oh yeah, god, the verb, the nouns and verbs thing again. But but to me it makes sense.
0: Well, you know, I, I want to say yes, but I had the psvr 2 pre-ordered and February 22nd, We'll see. Maybe that's the noun that will finally do it. I think this is the perfect note to end on, and yet. Episode two hundred, esteemed audience, knows I would never forget to ask because I ask everybody who comes on, James uh, Monty, have you ever seen a ghost and or a flying saucer?
1: Okay. No. I'm trying to think. I, I I I don't discard either of those things and I've had experiences that but no, I have never seen a ghost or a flying saucer, but I am wide open for it because one of my verbs is to explore, right? So explore the world. If that includes ghosts, flying saucers, bring them on.
0: Where can esteemed audience find you online, follow you on social media and all that
1: good stuff? Okay, so online, Um, um Also, renegadesofmiddlegrade.com. Renegades of Middlegrade is a group I started a few years ago where I just collectively kind of reached out to some writers and said, hey, we should have a presence together and it's so much fun and there's such great writers on it and and so both those sites are, are worth going to on social media at james Ponte, on twitter at james ponty books on instagram um i'm not great at instagram i'm trying to get better i don't know that twitter's going to be around that much longer so i feel like i have to get better at instagram but um it's yeah i i i try to be accessible i i know that as a kid, like for me as a kid, I I used to write my favorite baseball players. And if I could connect back, even if it was a stamped signature or something, it, it was What's great on social media is that, you know, if someone writes to me, I can respond back in a way that I have the time to do it and it gets to them. And that's really fun. So I do like that. Um, that said on social media i try to interact more with the adults than with kids because i don't i don't want kids to get in the habit of just trusting people they don't see you know so if kids reach out to me i usually will say well let's check with the adult in your life and then i will write back but you know even if a kid writes me an email i'll write them back that's not a problem but um if i have time sometimes i'm so swamped with deadlines i don't but yeah, so you can find me in those places or you know look at the street for the bald heavyset guy balding heavy set guy uh with glasses and that might be me so you know there you go
0: james ponty this has been an absolute thrill and a pleasure you have been a tremendous guest and i appreciate you making the
1: time episode 200 folks i can't 200. believe congratulations that's that's wonderful you see and 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 go that's a noun right that's like you just did your thing and you didn't start saying oh i'm gonna have 200 of these it's, I'll, I'll do them for a week, or two weeks, or three weeks, or four, and it goes and goes, and now two hundred. Then that, congratulations—that's that's that's quite an accomplishment. Well,
0: I'm convinced every episode is the last one. Sooner or later, folks are going to find out I'm a fraud, and then it's over.
1: And I'll say, "Oh, well, that
0: was lovely. Well, it lasted." <laughs> yeah, you know, I,
1: I, I'm part of a Zoom group. We meet every week. Um oh, author is really fun, Gordon Corman's in that group, and Gordon just had book number one hundred and one come out, and we just we marvel at that. It's like you know, I'm excited about 10, 101. And, you know, we'll give them all kinds of garbage about, you know, like, are you still excited? You know, it's like, you know, because when the, when the books come in the box and you open them up, and, it's, it still kind of makes my heart. And I go, but at 101, he's like, oh, books, got where's the shelf space, right? And he's like, no, he's still excited about it. And you're still excited at 200, 200 episodes, just keep on trucking, that's wonderful.
0: Well, it sounds like episode 300, I need to get in this group. That's gonna be an amazing episode. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, as always, esteemed audience, for interviews almost as good as this, 191 in the back catalog, plus written interviews with literary agents, editors, book people, the world's best people, head to middlegradeninja.com, make room for the new upcoming Rob Worms Bird Adventure, my favorite book. I can't wait for you to get your hands on it. And God that I'm alive. I'll see you next week.